2: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to one of our most difficult-to-produce shows of the year. What's that, you ask? Are we doing a deep dive into the stock markets? Uh, Is this a special show hosted from a conference expo floor? Or or are we swapping co-hosts? Well, not exactly. But we are trying to cover things we should have learned in 2019. And you know what we say about learning around here. If you learn anything, absolutely anything, keep it to yourself that's why we've expertly circumnavigated and yes i'm certain that's the right word to use circumnavigated the issue by having someone else tell you what we should have learned instead help us welcome this year's financial celebrity guest who's going to help us work through some of the biggest events of the year you've read her books and now you'll hear her here please welcome liz weston want more how about this thinking about your year-end giving we'll talk to Harlan Landis from the Plutus Foundation about what's going on in financial literacy. Still more? Oh my God, you people are insatiable. Okay, tell you what I'm going to do because I'm a giver. Let's also throw out the Haven Lifeline to one lucky listener and the icing on the 2019 cake will still save time for my incredible trivia. And now two guys who are still waiting for their invitations to host the Oscars keep waiting boys Joe and O J-J-J-J-G
0: and then they'll take some of those bad dad jokes we told in the past and next thing you know there's going to be a big to do and we won't be able to host the Oscars either so better that we didn't even try in the first place
3: I feel like if it was between you or Billy Crystal it would be you And then the problem is, is that you'd be obligated every year and you got other stuff to do in February. It's like your birthday month. You don't want to be tied down to like an annual recurring commitment.
0: It's probably the same night as a game night. I mean,
3: let's be real. Yeah, I know. And then you'd have to respectfully decline. And then if you didn't decline, then Billy would be peed off every year. And then so every so often you have to like throw him the bone and he'd, he'd be like, oh, and then... You know, it just gets messy. So you're right. Just don't even
0: bother. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the we Go Maniacs podcast. I am Joe Salci. I have a show money on Twitter and across the table from me, the guy helping us rock the 23rd. This is, by the way, the last non-rewind show of the year. We'll get to that later because we've got a huge thing going on this next week. We've got an extravaganza for you guys, but I might as well introduce him. The man behind this extravaganza, the OG.
3: I'm just here so I don't get fined. Just to make sure. Sports people will get that analogy. I always thought that was funny that they would force players to be available to the media. It is all about selling
0: tickets, man.
3: Yeah, but sometimes people just, that's not their thing, right?
0: I always think about the coach that just got their butt whooped and they've got to do that press conference afterwards. Coaches are
3: different. I'm talking about the players. Coaches, that's part of your job description. But if I get drafted as a running back, my job isn't to necessarily always talk to the media. I just want to know how that conversation went down with Marshawn Lynch and whoever coached him. If maybe nobody, maybe he just came up with that on his own, but maybe he, you know, I can just see him sitting around going, I don't want to do it, but it's going to cost me like a hundred grand if I don't show up. And they're like, just say the same thing over and over again that you're just here so you don't get fined. And he went, Brilliant. There it is. I'm going to do that. Let's talk about Skittles.
0: <laughs> uh, we're not going to talk about Skittles, but we are going to talk about the Stacker 2020's The Year OG. When not only do you get financial planning tips, you're going to find out stuff going on in the basement. We've got some phenomenal stuff coming up in January and in February already. I also found out that there is a city that at least one of us is going to go to in the next 60 days. So pretty excited about all those. You want is this it- one
3: of those ones where you go, have a big party, talk about it for weeks afterward, but forget to invite me to?
0: And, and forget to invite you to. Maybe we'll ask the Magic Ape all that. If you get to go to all the meetups this year.
3: That would be a great question.
0: That would be. It's probably why we won't ask. Because we already know the answer. I mean, come on. Let's get real. we got a great show. Speaking of get real, we've got Liz Weston here. It's about time we got Liz. Every year we have a financial celebrity come down to the basement. We've had Jill Schlesinger a couple times, David Bach. We're like, who can we get this year? You've read all of her books. She's all over the personal finance section. She's been a keynote speaker at FinCon and many other conferences. Uh, Liz Weston coming down to the basement to talk about what should we have learned in 2019. But before that... Got some great headlines, so let's move.
4: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines.
0: Our first headline is an opinion piece written by Kimberly Foss at financialplanning.com, a website where financial planners hang out. Kimberly writes this, OG, the day I lost it with a client over a fang stock. Lost it. So awesome. How many times... Have you had, because I used to have these all the time, discussions with a client who wanted to make the dumbest move with a stock and you could not talk them out of it. You couldn't show them charts. You couldn't show them graphs. You couldn't show them other companies where they really need to do the right thing. Got all emotional and still did the wrong thing.
3: None of my clients are misbehaving. They're all perfect. You're saying
0: you've never had that before where you guys disagreed over a FANG stock or over some stock. (laughs) By the way, we should explain what FANG means. FANG is Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, which now actually is Alphabet, but whatever. Those are the same. Yes. And uh, a lot of people say they should call it MANG now. They should take out Facebook and put in Microsoft, which would have been cha-ching. But anyway, uh, you've, you, you've never- late and a dollar short on that. You have never- Trade. As if they're not going to continue to go up, Microsoft is a rocket to the moon.
3: Always, new except ex- for the 15-year period where it
0: wasn't. New Xbox coming. Can't I'm gonna, wait. I will probably single-handedly make sure with the new Xbox coming that they're rocket ship them. No, I probably won't, but come on. Of course, we've professional
3: disagreements, but there's always the professional way to do it. And then there's the emotional way. And part of the benefit I think of having the disinterested third party, right? Is that we're not as attached to the thing that goes with it, whether it's something like an individual stock or it's, even more planning centric, like, but I really have to give my kid money, you know, because he or she needs help. And you're like, well, no, if you do that, then you're tanking your retirement, you know, where it's a little bit more of a, you know, a planning related type of, type of discussion. But, uh, you know, people go to the doctor every, t- every so often and doctors say, probably should stop smoking, probably should lose some weight, maybe eat a little bit healthier. People do that sometimes. And sometimes they don't.
0: It is frustrating, though, as an advisor to
3: know that you're right. Well, it's not about knowing that you're right. It's about that you have really, really... I actually think it's a good thing. If you're frustrated, that means you care a lot. Yes, right. You care a ton about the outcome for this person, and you are watching them do something that you know will likely have a bad outcome or at least not have a good outcome, and... You know, you you feel obligated to provide them with as much information as possible to help them not do that. But I'm interested to hear this story here.
0: Yes. Kimberly has a fantastic story here. Not long ago, I was having a difficult conversation with a client. This woman would not listen to reason. And despite my best efforts, I was about to lose it. How many times have you heard me say it? I told her you made a good investment. The stocks had a good run. But now because of that, you're overweighted. You need to take some gains off the table and reallocate that money so you can stay within the guidelines we've set up for you. And it's in your retirement account, so you don't even have to worry about the capital gains. What's the problem? Which part of this do you not understand?
3: Sounds a little parental.
0: It does, doesn't it? I was laying it on thick. And I was right. We had clearly established our ground rules for asset allocation, but the client had wanted to make a play on one of the FANG stocks. It seemed very important to her. So reluctantly, I'd helped her make the buy in her IRA. We'd set a firm limit of no more than 10% allocation to any individual stock, and she understood that. But with a big rise in price she experienced, the stock's value was now way outside the boundaries for any individual holding. It was time to sell. Why was she refusing my advice? Ready? Kimberly writes, sure. because in this case, the client was me. Nice. I love that. Even advisors Duh. Duh. struggle with this stuff. Even Embers advisors. Close. Which shows you if Kimberly is struggling with the emotions of having a stock that's way up, and she knows all the ground rules, OG. She knows a ton about financial planning. She not only is a financial planner, looking at Kimberly's bio, which we don't need to get into here, she's a top financial planner. Well, she's good enough to write for financial planning, but she's even better than that. She's She has done so many great things, and she struggles with staying inside the boundaries of her investment portfolio statement. One might ask, why she doesn't have a financial planner? I sat there staring at my screen, she says, knowing I needed to hit the sell button, and I couldn't do it. As I continued to broil on my own indecision, the tapes of previous client conversations started playing in my mind. But the price is still going up. Why would you sell a winner? I read all the materials on the stock, including an article in Forbes that said it could go even higher. I'd heard it all before from the other side of the desk. But now that I was my own client, I was finding it much harder to follow my own advice.
3: What do they say? A lawyer that represents himself has a fool for a client and an attorney?
0: This is probably one of those examples. At the bottom, OG, she speaks to exactly what you're talking about. And so this brings us back to where we started. The ancient proverb, physician, heal thyself, seems very applicable here. Before we start lecturing our clients on the pitfalls of being over-enticed by the big tech stocks, we need to take stock of our own tendencies. The advice we give to our clients is real-world ramifications, and no stock goes up forever. Might be fine to let that occasional client take a flyer on Apple or Amazon, but set your limits, both going in and coming out.
3: That's why I think it's so important to... Eat your own cooking, to use another analogy, like on number three in the last 60 seconds. But how can you say, for example, that it's really important to have your cash reserve in place? How can you say that it's really important to follow your asset allocation and that sort of thing? If that's not what you do, if you believe so strongly in it for other people, if you're an advisor, you kind of have to do the same thing for yourself, right? Right.
0: But, and also it's, it's not just that you eat your own cooking because it's the right cooking because as a financial advisor, you know, more than the average bird, you've read the studies, you know, what happens, you know, why these rules were set, you know, why she's saying not more than 10%. Sure. You know why. And for a lot of people, it's not even 10% for one stock. It's 10% for the entire playpen of stocks, right? For the sandbox. Love that. Love that piece. And in our second headline, this piece comes to us from Forbes, written by Chris Putnam-Walkerly, Five Steps to Make More Informed Charitable Giving Decisions. Uh, She writes, With the holiday season upon us, so is the season of giving, giving thanks for what we have and giving what we can to others. Yet, while you, like so many donors, may make your largest contributions at year-end during this time of reflection— goodwill and tax deduction deadlines, are you doing so strategically to ensure your dollars are having the greatest impact possible for a worthy cause? And it's interesting. I'm going to link to the rest of this piece on our show notes page because it's important to go through this. But number one is identify what you're trying to accomplish. And while ostensibly we have this show that's meant to teach nobody anything, (laughs) <laughs> People that know us better than that might know we're a little bit about financial literacy and a place that we love that's all about financial literacy. And I feel fortunate to be on the board of this particular foundation is the Plutus Foundation. So I thought we'd uh, end the year, our last headline, with the man who created the Plutus Foundation, our good friend, Hardlin Landis. How are you, man? I'm fantastic. How are you, Joe? I'm good. Happy holidays to you. Yeah, same to you. Well, you've had a great year with the Plutus Foundation. I want to talk just a little bit about it because when people talk about financial literacy, they need to know this is not only a big problem. This is something you're very passionate about.
5: Yeah, absolutely. It's something I've been uh, really digging deep into ever since I started writing about money back in uh, 2003. So it's been a long time coming for me. You guys
0: this year had uh, the Plutus Voices around the country. Tell me about that effort. And then let's talk about some of the things that the Plutus Foundation has helped with.
5: Plutus Voices is is an amazing program and we've had a lot of fun with it. We've had such a great response from people who have been a part of it. So it's an opportunity to talk about how we talk about money and answer some questions that don't get a lot of attention in the community of bloggers and podcasters, influencers, whatever you want to call the financial media these days. But these are great topics. These are important topics that shape how we talk and teach people uh, financial literacy. And, we hear from people who don't often get a chance to speak about these topics. So it's been great. We go into different cities. We have different topics in different cities. We talk to different people. And it has honestly changed the way some people write and speak about money, and which is fantastic. We're, we're really bringing the opportunity to people to open their minds up to different perspectives that they might not be considering. And all of this is important as financial influencers, bloggers, podcasters, whoever we may be, if we want to reach and have an impact on our audience, it is great to hear about these varying perspectives so we now ha- we know how to address these issues a whole lot better.
0: It's interesting we talk about financial literacy, Harlem, we often see and I know this is the case with our podcast, when people start to accumulate wealth, they get excited. But there's a lot of people that, according to a friend of mine, a gentleman in Atlanta, quote, don't get the memo. John Hope Bryant is who I'm talking about, who just they haven't been reached. And not just people from poor communities or some areas of the nation where there's systemic poverty. We've got a ton of work to do to reach more people.
5: Yeah, and we can't reach everybody 100% of the time. And we can't do everything all of the time. There's only certain things that we can do. But we're trying to reach these audiences and uh, the media in different communities and give them some more tools that can help them in one way to make more of an impact on their audience. I remember back when I was writing a lot more regularly, I knew that as much as I tried to, I'd never be able to reach every reader. Not everyone would be affected. and at some moments you just have to step back and say well if i helped one person then then at least at least i've been able to do that and all of this work is worthwhile we'd like to help people just have a better chance at reaching people that they may not have expected they'd be reaching
0: that's what i didn't appreciate initially about the plutus foundation is that specific mission which is that you're not taking a global perspective as much as a ground game perspective. Let's support people that on a one-on-one level are going to town on helping one more person gain financial literacy.
5: That's exactly what we're trying to do with our grants. So we support members of this community, uh, financial media influencers who go out and they want to create their own programs and they want to go into their communities and teach financial literacy in a way that they know from their work within the community and their work on their own projects. It shows that it will be more successful than the typical sessions that someone might go to who are not put together by someone who understands an audience. So we look for programs like that to support every year.
0: Let's talk about some of those programs then, Harlan. If somebody gives here at the end of the year to the Plutus Foundation, what are some of the programs that they that they would be supporting?
5: So when you give to the Plutus Foundation, a lot of that contribution will go towards the grants that we give out every year. The last two grants that we gave out, two programs called Talk Money to Me and Dollars and Good Sense. Let me tell you a little bit about both of those programs. So Talk Money to Me uh, is a program that's run by Cara Perez from Bravely Go. Uh, she's the CEO and founder of Bravely Go. You've probably heard of that. I was going to say
0: people also yeah. might know her, Harlem from the Fairer Sense podcast as well.
5: Yeah, so she's very much involved in the community and has done a great job of getting the message out about making great financial decisions. The program that she's running called Talk Money to Me is a pop-up event, and it's specifically for women and non-binary people, and they can learn financial tools in a way that that talks to them uh, specifically, since most content out there is written for most consumers, which they would be excluded from because they're just not part of that mainstream financial advice. Now, a lot of financial information, as you know, is going to be the same regardless of gender, but of course, it's not so much about the information, but it's about the communication of that information and what do different aspects of society need in order to receive a message more fully and more directed towards them so that they can take a better action on it. So we love the whole idea behind this program. Kara is putting it together and we're excited to support her as she runs this program next year.
0: That is exciting. She's so brilliant, by the way, just the way that she talks to her audience specifically, like she's got the heartbeat of her audience, I feel.
5: Yeah. And that's so important to be able to do as uh, as someone who wants to be effective in offering financial advice, uh, especially for specific people.
0: Yeah. Uh, she's a great role model. What, what about the other program, Harlan? Sure. Dollars and Good Sense is founded by Debbie
5: Todd. She's a licensed CPA and certified financial education instructor. And this is a live two-day whole family financial wellness seminar, but it's specifically for community uh, two of the poorest uh, towns or cities in Washington state. The towns are Kelso and Longview. So these are communities that need great financial instruction that's tailored towards them and their obstacles and their needs. And this is a live event for their entire families. So it's not just for the parents, but bring the kids as well. Everybody has information for them and sessions and hands-on sessions that will be applicable to them at their age groups. And, uh, it just brings everybody in the communities together. So we're really excited to support that. Uh, actually the event has happened now. So we're just waiting to see some pictures
0: and share
5: a lot of that on our blog.
0: That's so awesome. Three last questions. Sure. Number one is if people want to get involved with the Plutus Foundation, how do they do that?
5: Well, one good way to check us out is to go to PlutusFoundation.org, especially if you're not familiar with, say, the Plutus Awards or Plutus Voices or the grants that we put out. That's a great way to get an overview of everything that we work on from the programs that we run ourselves, like Plutus Voices, to the programs that we support through our grants, to some of the sponsorships and scholarships that we offer as well.
0: And then second, Plutus Voices, tell me a little bit about what you got in store for 2020. Any concrete plans yet you can divulge? Um,
5: There is not much to divulge just yet, but we are in the early stages of planning cities and we are looking to return to some of our favorites from this past year. So this year we went to Phoenix, Los Angeles, the Irvine area. We did uh, Atlanta, and Denver and uh, finish the year in New York City, which is where we started a year ago. We're looking to go back to some of those cities in 2020, as well as add a few. And we're looking at possibly Detroit. We're looking at possibly San Francisco and either Boston or Philadelphia, in addition to some that we've already visited this past year.
0: I don't know if you know this, Harlan, Detroit's coolest city on earth. That's what I hear, Joe. (laughs) We're a little biased here, but you know. (laughs) Uh, And then my last question, if people want to give to the Plutus Foundation here at a time when people are thinking about it uh, for better financial literacy, how do they do that? There's two
5: ways you can do that. You can text Plutus, P-L-U-T-U-S, to the number 44321. That makes it nice and easy. You can just do it from your phone. Or you can go to plutusfoundation.org and just click the donate button and you'll learn about our Giving Tuesday campaign, which is more than just Tuesday. We're actually running that through the end of the year. And uh, we would appreciate any support. And you know, it's going to go to a great cause. Uh, We support everybody within this community. And uh, we are happy to talk to any financial influencer who wants to run a project. We will help you get what you need in order to make it successful.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I, I did forget to ask that, so I'm glad you brought that up because you're trying to shine a light on a lot of these people doing great works in these communities that are off the beaten path sometimes. So if you've got those, PlutusFoundation.org as well. Harlan, happy holidays, my friend. Yeah,
5: happy holidays to you too, and happy new year.
0: Big thanks to Harlan for stopping by to talk about the Plutus Foundation. Oh, gee, this time of year when um, a lot of people's heads turn to giving, And being a part of a community, great organization, bringing the the personal financial community together, educating lots of people. Good stuff. Our lesson here, though, I think from Harlan's appearance, probably are self-explanatory, but from Kimberly's piece in financial planning, it's okay to feel the emotions. Even great financial planners feel the emotion. Acting on it, it's a whole different thing, OG.
3: Just follow the plan. Take the medicine, follow the plan.
0: I'm so excited that right now upstairs talking to mom is a woman I get to call a good friend of mine. She is somebody who you've been reading forever if you've read anything on finance. Liz Weston has wrote a ton of not only best-selling books but also writes a ton of articles for lots of different publications. Right now, she is the woman in charge of the NerdWallet blog leading a team of great people on that website so make sure you check her out there frequently but right now she's not keynoting a conference or writing your favorite financial book she's here helping us talk about what is most important to remember from the events of 2019 Liz Weston coming down to the basement coming down the stairs to the basement. It's about time we got her here. Liz Weston joins us. How are you? I'm great, Joe. How are you doing? Well, I'm so happy you're here, finishing the year up with my good friend Liz. We've talked about this, what, for three years? Four years? At least. (laughs) At least. (laughs) At some point. I got to ask you this. All the people that have been fans of yours forever, reading all the phenomenal stuff that you've written, tell me your money nerd story. Cause that's something I don't know about you. Like, were you always a money nerd or were you somebody like me that messed
6: up and then, you know, got things right? What is your story, Liz? I don't have that sexy story of messing up and then coming back. I'm not the prodigal son, sadly. So, but,
0: well, no, that's I, good.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I was raised by a mom that knew about money. I mean, she was just, she was frugal. She was smart And she led the way. And after that, I was just sort of learning on my own. I remember my first 401k was when I was working at Anchorage Daily News. I was a journalist up in Alaska. And I put money in it because probably Money Magazine or Kiplinger's or something told me to do it. I really had no idea how these things worked. When the market went down, I blamed my company. They had done something to me. So, but it's funny,
0: well, well, not to stop you, but a lot of people still do that. You hear this all the time. I do as well. I don't like my company, so I'm not going to put money in the 401k.
6: (laughs) I'm going to take careful aim at my nose. By the way, (laughs) you shoot your foot, you slice your nose, whatever. You know what I mean? Both. Yes. Both. Yes. cutting your nose to spite your face, shooting yourself in the foot, however you want to put it. But yeah, I I hear it too. And it's like, no, honey, I know how you feel. I did too. But you just keep putting that money away and don't touch it.
0: What do you think the earliest lessons were
6: that mom taught you about money? Uh, Probably that it was a finite resource, but that it was continual. I mean, it wasn't like you only had, you did have a set amount of money at any given time. But you could always go out and make more. And I think that was tying that um, money to effort. I could go out and do extra chores and bring money in. I could go get a job and bring money in, but I couldn't borrow money from her. I, could, I didn't have a credit card, obviously, back then. So you had a finite amount you had to deal with at any given time. So it to me, her philosophy was more about getting what you want than about restricting and denying yourself things. So that was kind of a positive spin to put on it, I think.
0: Well, what I like about that, too, is that then when you do extra effort, you're asking yourself all the time if it's worth it. Is the thing I want really worth this extra effort?
6: Yes, yes. And then somewhere in my 20s, I read Vicki Robbins' book, Your Money or Your Life. That blew my mind, changed my whole attitude. Now everything was framed in terms of what life energy does it take to get this thing. And I was never all that materialistic to start with, and I certainly wasn't after that because you look at a lot of things like, really? That's not worth an hour of my life. That's not worth six hours of my life. Yeah, you've written a lot about debt. When did you start with credit cards? i trying to think probably right out of college. Back in the day, they didn't give you Frisbees for signing up for a credit card, at least not <laughs> at my college. So, But you still could get one once you got your first job. So I remember, I think it was Seafirst Bank or Rainier Bank or one of those up in Seattle. I kept that card forever because people do. It's like your first card is like, oh, oh sure. This is so cool. Somebody gives me credit. Yay. But my mom was so adamant about not carrying a credit card balance. And I remember when Bank of America dared to charge her an annual fee, she chopped up that card and sent it back in an envelope. And they sent her a new one and they apologized and they waived the fee. So another good lesson to learn.
0: Wow. that's That's really cool. <laughs> so you and I talked about this segment this is one of my favorite segments of the year, which is all the things that we should have learned in 2019. And thanks for coming up with a few of the big ones. Cause I know a little bit about, I don't know everything is coming, but I know a few things you warned me about that we're going to talk about. Um, but let's just, let's just talk about this year in general. I feel like Liz, this was the type of year where if your 401k went down, you might be doing it wrong.
6: Yeah, I think you really got to take a lesson. But I think a lot of people were anticipating some kind of big crash, some kind of big recession. And so they erred on the side of caution. And it just goes to show you cannot predict what's coming. You just can't. Of course, we'll have a recession at some point. That's how our economy goes. Of course, the market will go down at some point. That's how the market works. But trying to say it's going to happen at X point in time, yeah, no, I don't think anybody's very good at that. But it's funny, though, from your perch, watching all of the news and the media
0: leading the NerdWallet team, you're seeing this all the time, right? Every, but people increasingly are calling it and not dumb people calling it. No. There are some pretty smart people that are still trying to call the shot.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Well, because they know eventually they'll be right. That stopped <laughs> clock is right twice a day thing. <laughs> and then they can take credit for it. Oh, I saw all this coming. It's like, no, that's not really how it works. And you have a generation that is twitchy already because of what happened in 2008, 2009. So they're just waiting for that other shoe to drop. And it will. I doubt that it will drop that hard. I drop, doubt it will drop in the same way. Eventually, though, the market is going to go down. Eventually, we'll have another recession. And sometimes you barely notice recessions, I have to say. Most people just sort of sail through them. Other times, they're significant. We just don't know what's coming. Yeah, that's the – well, that's the scary part for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Let's start early in the year
0: and kind of go chronologically, if you don't mind. Let's go through some of the events that you think maybe we should have learned from this year. What would you say to from the start of the year on, what would be number one?
6: Oh, Joe, you're asking me to remember dates. Oh, no, not exactly. <laughs> we don't have to be exact. All right, good. We may have to do some editing here and right, you know, put things in the proper <laughs> order. Because I know Aretha died at some point. Aretha Franklin. Yeah. And it was yet another case of somebody not taking care of their estate plan and causing a god-awful mess. And it's sad because that's the one thing we've got guaranteed besides taxes, right? This is going to happen. And yet you see over and over, the guy from Sopranos, you know, he had a big old mess. Uh, Michael Jackson, monster mess. Prince. Prince. These are people with enough money to hire the best estate planners in the world. And they can't manage to pull it together. So, I have a little more sympathy for <laughs> the general, the average Joe who can't manage to do it. <laughs> I know but that guy. It, it, it's super important. I mean, nobody likes to think about death. Okay. That's a given. But if you don't think about death in a way, you're not thinking about your life either because that's the deadline, right? That's the deadline that we're all moving towards. And if you don't think about it once in a while, you probably aren't thinking about what's important in your life, what you're bringing to your life, what you want out of life. Do you know George Kinder? He's the life planning guy, the father of the life financial planning. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got these three questions, and I love these three questions. And the first question is, okay, assume you have all the money that you need. You are comfortable. Your family's taken care of. You never have to worry about money again or work again, whatever. What would your life look like now? And he wants you to spend some time thinking about that. When you get up in the morning, where are you? What are you doing? How do you feel your day? What do you do in the evening? You know, just go through the whole thing. And it's a great exercise in fantasizing a bit, but also figuring out, okay, what values are popping up here? What's important to you when money stops being, when, you know, when working for the man stops being the thing. The next question is you go to your doctor. He tells you, you have five to 10 years to live. You're going to be fine. And then you're going to keel over, but you don't know when, but it is going to be in that time frame. How does your life change? What do you do? What do you stop doing? Okay. That's another sort of values exercise. The final one, you're in your doctor's office and he says, you got 24 hours to live. Really sorry. There's not a thing we can do. Now it switches to what do you regret? What did you not do that you wish you'd done? And what are you proud of? You know, what are you leaving behind? So those three questions really sort of focus down and they're all in a way about values and what you want out of life. And two of them are about death. So that's why it's like, yeah, nobody wants to think about this stuff. And But nobody wants to leave a mess for their loved ones. You don't want the lasting impression that you leave behind is that jerk didn't take care of us or he could have done so much and he didn't. Or she could have made this so much easier for us or clearer for us and she didn't. So a little bit of cleanup work is necessary. But also those bigger picture things. Stopping to think about that once in a while, maybe once a year, writing this all out, can be hugely helpful and figuring out what you want out of life and how to get there. It's a great time of year for that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) With your family, you're also thinking about the people you lost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic time of year for that. It's funny. I just hired some new coaches, and that was one of the first exercises they had us go through. They said, what age do you think you're going to die? They did it a little differently, but it's the same thing. What age do you think you're going to die? I think I said 82. And then they said, okay, let's say it's a year before you die, and you're still healthy, Like, how do you see yourself at 81? And I went through, well, I want to be competitive. Like I love, I run, you know, 5Ks and 10Ks and stuff. And I love seeing the 80-year-olds out there running. I thought that was great. I want to be competitive. I want to be a resource for my kids and my community. I want to be a member of my community and all these things. I went through the things that were really important to me. And I tell everybody, do, do, you know, that this is a great way to do Liz's exercise as well. And then they said, you know, a lot of people just atrophy, so let's say that you're 81 and you are all these things. How many more years do you live? And I went, well, crap, I probably live to hundred. I mean, if this, <laughs> there's not, you know what I mean? If I'm not, if, yeah. if, if I'm this involved, I'll probably live to hundred. And then they say, okay, you've got 18 years. I just bought myself 18 years. What are you going to do during those 18 years? Mm-hmm. And then they had me write down all the things I'm going to do. And then of course, then our coach said the same thing that you, that you're alluding to, which is, why are you waiting? Like the, these are clearly those things. And oh my, yeah. it changed everything. <laughs> Doesn't it? It Doesn't totally it? changed everything.
6: Yeah. It revolutionary.
0: It's funny because I even saw Tom, uh, Tom Petty died as well. And I yeah. noticed doing some headlines about his estate that he had good attorneys and he, quote, did it right. But he had some nonspecific language and because he had... You know, because it's, it's his spouse is not the mother of his children. The children and the spouse are fighting with each other. So you can have the best attorneys and get it wrong. But let, but let's not even go into that as much as what are just some of the basics we need to do for an estate, Liz? Like if somebody's going to do their estate plan 101,
6: what are some of the basics to get people rolling? Well, actually the first thing you need to do are the powers of attorney. If you don't know what those are, that's. Designating someone to make decisions for you if you're incapacitated. And the reason I put those first is because those have to do with your quality of life while you're alive. Everything else deals with your stuff. So those powers of attorney for healthcare and for finances are the ones that are really going to help you should something awful happen. You can't make decisions for yourself. You're still alive, but you can't make these decisions. You want somebody stepping in for you. So that's the first thing. Get those done. Basic will for most people is fine. And you need to think about your retirement plans, your bank accounts, all those. See who the the beneficiaries are. This is another area that people just get wrong all the time. I heard from this one woman whose husband died. They were young. They had uh, three kids, I think. And the husband died. The mother was the beneficiary of his life insurance because he'd never changed it. He bought it before he got married, never changed it. And she, the mother, wound up with the money and didn't share it. Not every mother-in-law is quite that evil, but there's a lot of people out there that the money comes to them, they think it's theirs, they'll take off with it. So those beneficiary designations, the powers of attorney, and then a basic will. The more money you have, though, the more important it is to go get that attorney. I see people trying to DIY this. And that, was it's like, my, that was actually my next question. <laughs> yeah. You have $10 million. You can afford a, an attorney. Go get one. Because... <laughs> The other thing about it as you said even even the best attorneys can mess up but they have insurance man they can, Yeah. <laughs> if they really screw up you know they'll have to step up and pay for it but really they see stuff happening all the time that you can't imagine that you've never died before all right you don't know how these things play out hopefully they've had a ton of clients die on them so they know how things play out and they can anticipate problems.
0: That was definitely a big event Aretha passing away. Now being in Detroit, I'm right on top of it. And watching this family implode uh, oh. over money is just, it's horrible to watch no matter where you're at. What's something else that happened in 2019 we can learn from, Liz?
6: Well, you know, I'm from Los Angeles. So the big news there was the college admissions scandal. Oh, right. And I don't think you could live here and not have some connection to it. It was like, we have a friend whose daughter goes to the same school as Felicity Huffman's oldest daughter. So we were getting in all that gossip and it's not funny. I mean, it's, it's awful what essentially what the parents did to the kids. I mean, some of the kids were in on it. I don't think this particular girl was and what it said to her, you know, and basically if you were under a rock the whole time, the college admission scandal was all these wealthy and well placed parents cheating to get their kids into. Elite schools, competitive schools, and some of the cheating was just egregious. They were having kids take the exams, you know, getting them accommodations so they could take the exams on their own, and then whoever was proctoring the exam was was fixing it or giving them answers or whatever. They were pretending to be athletes when they weren't, and bribing coaches, and you know, so it's all this huge, ugly mess. What it boils down to is this fear. We're seeing this widening gap. This wealth gap, income inequality, wealth inequality, and the folks at the top of the food chain are just terrified their kids won't be able to keep up and something will happen and they'll go off the rails. And what my buddy Lynn O'Shaughnessy at College Solutions always says is these kids, upper middle class and above, they've already got the golden ticket. You know, their parents are trying to get them into these schools that they think are golden ticket schools, that they have this school, that they have this education, everything will be fine. Well, the reality is they're already in the bracket where everything's going to be fine. Occasionally, a kid will flunk out and bad things will happen. But typically, you know, if you're born into that group, you're going to stay in that group. It's not those kids that need this education. The kids that really get helped by elite college educations, low income, minority, first generation college. Those are the kids that really get the step up. If you're in that upper bracket, it really doesn't matter where you go. You're going to do fine. That's really hard for parents to accept. And as a mother bear myself, I can see this, you know, my daughter's 17. I can see the same reactions coming up in me that, oh my God, she's got to get this for a test grade. Oh my God, she's got to go to this school. No, she doesn't. Wherever she goes is going to be fine. And sorry, I'm on my soapbox here, but most colleges accept most students, but you'd never know that if you read U.S. News. <laughs> you know, you'd think there was this cutthroat competition. I don't know where your kids went, but I'm sure they did fine because they have jobs. They're out of the house, right? They are. Absolutely. And we worried
0: about schools like every parent does. And it's funny. we We took a trip out east when my kids were graduating. And we went to many of the schools in Boston. We went to Carnegie Mellon. We went mm. to a lot of good private schools. And then we actually, Dave Ramsey used to have a product. I don't think they have this product anymore for my son's education because he didn't really get the cost benefit thing. They had a product where they would help you fill out the FAFSA form, the, the federal application for student aid. But at the same time, they would also do a cost comparison because, you know, Dave and company are big on looking close to home. And they actually looked at Texas A&M Texarkana right in our backyard where we lived and then going to the university of Texas and then going to Carnegie Mellon. And and it was funny because it was that outside look, somebody else that wasn't dad showing my son the huge cost difference in these things. He's like, you know what, dad, I'm not going to stay home and go to Texarkana. I'm just not going to do that. But I will go to the University of Texas that has one of the top five engineering programs in the United States and saved us a ton of money, him and us a ton of money, you know, and now he's got a great job as an engineer with Microsoft that he loves. I tell him, being in Seattle, I tell him to save some of the Kool-Aid for somebody else. Like he, he, he has, he's been there for uh, what, a year and a half. And I think he's drank all the Microsoft Kool-Aid, like all, <laughs> there is none left. He, he loves his job. He's in the perfect spot. But to your point, he was going to be okay. But I'm wondering how we use this. I'm thinking we had John Hope Bryant. I don't know if you know him, Liz, but he had a great book called The Memo. And he talked about how there are some families with children that don't ever get the memo, Right and the memos, all this stuff, but then his big point is the system isn't fair, but that's not a reason not to compete. Yeah. It's a reason to compete harder. Knowing, knowing that Felicity Huffman is cheating for her kid is a reason for you to compete harder. If you're not Felicity Huffman.
6: <laughs> well, for the students, I would say, just do the best you can, you know, do that test prep, do take the rigorous courses. Cause that makes a huge difference do your best because that means you have more schools to choose from. But when it comes down to the finances, that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where a lot of parents need to start talking about this earlier. A Few years ago, I had three friends who sent their kids off to college for the first time. Not a one of them could afford the college education they had agreed to because they didn't have these conversations. All three of the kids, by the way, only lasted one year at that university and then they went somewhere else. So this dream school that was supposed to be everything they always wanted, of course, their expectations were way too high, as was the tuition, as was everything else. And now they're going to someplace, actually, all three of them someplace. No, two of them are going more affordable. One got it. It got even worse. But back to the, the idea of you need to talk to your kids about what you can actually afford and do some of those exercises, because the sticker price is not what anybody pays, but what you actually pay depends on your financial situation, how much the school wants your kid, and how generous the school is. The generosity of schools varies hugely. You have some little schools that are really trying to get students that are incredibly generous. Then you have New York University. It was, <laughs> which isn't it was generous so, at
0: all. Just before you said that, so my son was thinking about going to NYU, and there was going to be nothing nothing there. He was going, it was going to be retail sticker
6: price. Yeah. Because those schools that are on the coasts don't have to compete because all the kids are flocking. Everybody. Well, not everybody, but lots of kids want to go to New York. Yeah. So they don't have to fight to get those kids. Now the Ivies are a little bit different. The Ivies are really good about meeting 100% of, of financial need as demonstrated on the FAFSA and their various forms. And they're also good about acknowledging that middle class these days can stretch into the six figures, so they don't want to burden these families with tons of loans. So if your kid manages to get into the Ivies, that's a good thing. And trying to figure out a way to make that work is great. Those other name brand schools, especially the private schools, I would think twice because a lot of times you are paying a lot of money to get an education that you could get somewhere else that would be just as good. We loved Carnegie Mellon. We thought it was great.
0: But when we asked my son why he would go, he said, because it seems cool. And and we had this long conversation, Liz, to your point of it's cool is not enough reason to go. Like there there are 50 million reasons to go to Carnegie Mellon. I don't want Carnegie Mellon grads writing to me (laughs) about me bad about. Carnegie Mellon's an awesome place, but he couldn't vocalize any of that. He couldn't, there was nothing different for him than University of Texas. So
6: well, you put your finger on it, Joe, there is a list of maybe 50 schools that everybody knows. And if you get your kid into one of those schools, that's a, you know, like a feather in the parents cap and the kids are the same way. And it's like, there's a lot of great schools. that would be a much better fit for your kid and for your finances than just that tiny list. There are thousands of colleges out there. And particularly now those small private liberal arts colleges are really hungry for students. So check around. You might find something that can get you a really good deal or stay in state like your son did. Get that in-state tuition. That is huge. Another option, have the kid go to community college for a couple of years. There's a little bit of a risk in that one. Actually, not a little. There's a a fair risk in that one that they'll drop out. So that's you've got to have a kid that's super motivated that will go on to get that four year degree. But it's always an option or trade school. Remember that? (laughs) Yeah. Definitely an option. We've talked about that a lot on the show.
0: And actually we talked with a researcher a few weeks ago who was on Caitlin's Loom, one of my favorite interviews, but also one of the ones that in our Facebook group, people argued about the most. Cause when you start talking about education and things, but Caitlin made a good point about trade school, which is if for some reason that trade doesn't work out, with a college education, it's it it's so checkboxy that even if you change jobs, you still get to check the box that said, I got a four-year degree, which yeah. with a trade school, if I don't want to be an electrician later, I'm kind of screwed. And so there's some stuff there we maybe have to fix. I don't know.
6: Yeah, definitely. Although you've got, or you had in Texas in your backyard, Texas Tech. Right, right. Um, which had a lot of one and two year programs. And those kids were coming out making sixty, eighty thousand $80,000 a year yeah, right off the bat. So you save a little bit of that. You decide you change your mind. You go back to school, you get another yeah. vocational degree and go out again or, or get your four degree four year degree. Those are the kinds of degrees that can really pay off. But again, this takes a little research and kids might not naturally do this. So, you know, I sent my daughter to the Bureau of labor statistics to look up what people get paid in yeah. various professions and that helped give her some kind of grounding for, okay, maybe this education's worthwhile, maybe this is not. Like, getting a master's degree in social work does not pay off it doesn't. in any way, shape, or form.
0: Not but financially.
6: Not financially. It could pay off in many other ways. Yes. So that's, they've yeah. got to keep that in mind. But if you're borrowing money to get an education, you have to pay attention to the payoff because that's what's going to pay back your loans. There are so many other
0: we, – we could have made this a six-part series, Liz, but, we, <laughs> but we, we've got time for one more event from last year that was a big learning. What, what do you think we tackle next?
6: Uh, Jack Boggle. Bogle. Oh, my gosh. I can't remember how to pronounce his name. But it's funny because
0: being a game player, I always go Boggle because of the game, and then I'm reminded over and over by our Boglehead head friends that it's Bogle. So, But if I call him Boggle, that's because I want to shake him and put the letters together. (laughs) That's bad. Uh, Anyway,
6: Jack died. The father of index investing died. And I got to meet him once and he was delightful. You know, just absolutely as old school charming as you would imagine. He brought this notion to us that really what matters is keeping those costs down for the long run and that most people are better off just buying that low cost index fund or now exchange traded fund and going with that, not trying to beat the market. I see so many people thinking that they are now an investing genius and trying to to beat the market and they just wind up wasting money. So blessings to Jack. He brought us Vanguard. He brought us this idea that low cost investing was the way to go. And I think it is. I think for most people, that's the, the best choice for them.
0: I feel like he saved so many people from a mess because I feel like before Jack, so many people thought this was complicated and What I love about him most is that he kind
6: of was a champion too, Liz, that it doesn't have to be complicated either. Yeah, exactly. This can be simple. You go for, back in the day, it was maybe a balanced fund. Now you can do a lifestyle fund or a target date retirement fund. You put your money in, you live your life, (laughs) you do other things. You don't have to become an investing genius. And then when you're coming up on retirement, maybe go find yourself a good fiduciary fee only financial planner so you can put all the pieces together. Again, just like you've never died before, you've never retired before. And there's some big decisions that you've got to make at that point in your life. A lot of those decisions are irreversible. You don't want to mess this up. So go get that second opinion from someone you can trust. And then you sail on into the sunset. You brought us a lot of things. We did a story recently
0: about Dr. Michael Burry, who is in the big short, brought up this idea that, that index investing may be headed for a bubble. Because as everybody indexes, he says that that takes... The fair price away from the market like everybody's just buying arbitrarily and because of that we don't know where the price really is and he says the value is in knowing the price they asked Jack Mr. Bogle this question and Jack said that was right. He said yes, That in the future. Yes, if everybody indexes we might be in trouble, but he did say we're a long ways away from that. Do you worry at all about an index investing bubble Liz?
6: No, because I know that lots of people are competitive. They want to win. And so they I think there will always be people out there, particularly dudes, you know, that really, 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 really want to win. So they are going to look for their advantage. They're going to look for a way that they can beat out the other guy. So I have no worries about that. I mean, I know theoretically, yeah, it it possibly can happen. But that urge to win, that urge to find the advantage That is so strong in us. That is just part of the human condition. I can't see that going away. Smart. The the dudes can go do that. I'm just going to do my (laughs) index investing. Thank you very much. I'm going to stay away from my natural question. Why is it always dudes? Because it is.
0: (laughs) When I was was a financial planner, it was always dudes. I have no idea. There were a few women, but mostly guys. It was you. Mm -hmm. Um, But to that point, let's ask maybe a better question, which is this smart people like you talking about set it and forget it. You just said that earlier. That's the great thing about index investing. You know, though you've seen the studies and I've seen the studies that fidelity, Charles Schwab have done that. We don't, we say we're going to set it and forget it. We buy the index fund, but what's largely happened is we've got rid of our active fund managers. The people who kind of know what they're doing. We buy a bunch of index funds and then we trade them. We fired the managers (laughs) and we make ourselves that.
6: Why do we do that? (laughs) again the need to win the need to get that little bit of extra advantage that we think is out there and i, I don't think we're going to get rid of that i think we need to remind ourselves that we are not going to win and try to just stay the course with a decent asset allocation and really if you can't do it robo advisors are always there they're doing it for you so you can set it and turn it over to them but i you know i don't know i see that with people too that they'll have 401ks all over the place and they'll all have a different asset allocation or they'll have the same one, but they've got all the overlapping going on. Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's, there are worse things. At least they're invested. At least they're moving forward. So I won't worry too much about them, but yeah, it would be a lot better if you actually drank all the (laughs) (laughs) Kool-Aid. That's the Kool-Aid my son needs to drink. That one. Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Not negative on Microsoft at all, but um, but drink the set it and forget it Kool-Aid and you're better off. <laughs> Liz, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Pleasure. W- w- well, tell us, because you know nobody listens to the show. It's just you and I. <laughs> Anything secret coming up at NerdWallet that you can kind of tell us is on the horizon that we can look forward to?
6: Well, I think I can tell you now. I am going to be co-host of our podcast, so I am really, really excited about that. NerdWallet's got a podcast. We've been... Working on it for the past year, and it's going to go weekly starting next year. So I'm really super excited about being co-host and about doing it every week. I think it'll be a real education. You can bet I'm going to be calling you, Joe. What do I do now?
0: <laughs> well, I was I was going to give you advice right here in front of everybody. Don't do it. Just
6: <laughs> too late. I signed up. I'm there.
0: <laughs> it isn't worth it, Liz. It seriously isn't worth it. No. Oh, come on. This is fun. It's a lot of fun, and we need your voice in this community as well as the writing community. So. Thanks. Uh, do you have any idea around when it's going to release, when people can look forward to it?
6: Uh, I should know that, shouldn't I? <laughs> but th- No, that's okay. I think it's starting in in February, so I'll, I'll come back with a date for you.
0: I was going to say, because to, to some degree, you don't know. Like you submit it to Apple and Spotify and every place else, and it goes into a black hole, and then you're like, oh, it's today. Like, <laughs> it's, it's so bad. Liz Weston,
6: thanks for hanging out with us. My pleasure, Joe. Thanks for the invitation. It was great. Hey there, trivia
2: fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And while you may think Liz Weston was great, longtime listeners know that this is the true gold mine of the podcast my trivia. Wasn't Liz just fantastic, though? What a great time that was looking back on the big lessons from 2019. Think I uh, think I might even learn something, but. <laughs> With all that she said, let's be real. I mean, come on, I can't absorb all of that. My brain's already got so much packed into it. But Uncle Doug's got your back on what you really need to know to measure success in 2020. First, drink more water. If you already drink enough H2O, you know who you are. No need to send me emails, people. But how many of you actually do? B, exercise every day. And number four, if you're measuring anything, get the right measuring device. How about this trivia, though? Which president signed the Metric Conversion Act into law? I'm going to grab another glass of H2O, and I'll be right back with your answer.
4: Bonjour. Welcome to French Made Easy with me, your host, Mathilde. Today I'm joined by Certified Financial Planner Devin Carroll and together we will share a popular and simple French phrase so you too can use it in your own life. Sound easy? Sure! Today's phrase is mutual funds with high fees make me uncomfortable, Larry. In French, you would say this popular phrase just like this, Larry, les fonds de placement avec des frais élevés me mettent mal à l'aise. Once again! Larry, les fonds de placement avec des frais élevés me mettent mal à l'aise. Now, let's hear certified financial planner Devin Carroll try it. Ready, Devin?
0: Okay. Fonds communes de placement, Larry avec des honoraries, élevés me font mal à l'aise. Nailed it.
4: Perfect. See how we sound almost exactly alike? You too can speak French easily and comfortably listening to Stacking Benjamins. See you next time. Au revoir.
2: Welcome, podcast listeners. And whether your name is Miles or Kilometers, (laughs) still be Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Uh, Okay, slight problem, I went to get some of that H2O we all know you should drink and all I could find was water, so today I'm going to substitute that instead, it's pretty close, it's it's almost the same. Anyway, hope it doesn't change the plan, so I've got my 8 glasses full of water. Or later my tennis shoes to power walk around the basement and i've even got my conversion chart here so let's see apparently i'm uh, just over 185 meters tall <laughs> that that can't be right wait kilometers maybe huh. well here's the question today which president signed the metric conversion act into law and made all of our lives very complicated the answer if you said president nixon turns out that you can measure his success in centimeters because it was actually Gerald Ford who passed this act. I totally switcheroonied on you, didn't I? While well, the 1975 act had voluntary compliance, it was established uh, a metrification board to help coordinate and educate the American people to switch over to the new measurement system, which we all did, right? We all did it. W- wondering where it all went wrong. Well, the board was abolished in 1982 by president Reagan. Some say by inches. <laughs> well, see what I did there, but I think it's probably a country mile. Actually that with the old and, uh, no, let me back that up. I with a new and, uh, in with the old, as I always say.
0: So Big thanks to Liz Weston for hanging out with us. How great's that OG? All important things to know. Those are, but there's so many other ones that you can point to. First, Early in the year, companies, I'm thinking of when SoFi first came out early in the year with these zero-fee ETFs. Remember that? But that was just a come on. It was like a short-term thing, which they still say there's going to be fees at some point on those ETFs. And then Fidelity decided to create a couple no-fee ETFs and then swing around to the fall. And Charles Schwab goes, yeah, we're just cutting all of them. We're, we're cutting fees on all the stock trades and all the individual trades. And then everybody else had to follow suit. The TD Ameritrade.
3: Which drove the price of TD Ameritrade in the toilet. And then they
0: turned around and bought it. <laughs> and they bought it. Weird. Weird. That whole chain of events. We could, I mean, there's so many things we could have talked about this year, but those are certainly important. I especially like this time of year thinking about your estate plan. It's such
3: sweet, like, Christmas Eve discussions. So, folks... When I'm dead, here's how I'd like to, my stuff to be divvied up.
0: If you're tired of if you're tired of the party, just get everybody's attention and tell everybody what, you want to talk about What you about do that. is
3: you just get out the estate plan, you just sit at the table with a big binder.
0: <laughs> and and you and just, just sit
3: there with like a red one of those like red sharpies, you know, like the teachers have, and you just just go, "Hey, uh, Jack, can you come over here for a second? I have a meaning to ask you." What are your thoughts on the presidency? <laughs> and then and then like as he starts talking, you just go, I see. And they just make a big red X through some stuff. No, like matter, what no yeah. matter what he says. No matter what he says. They just go, Okay, cool. Thanks. It. Sheila, could you come over here? Could you help me understand? Uh tell me a little bit about your philosophy on uh um, Brexit. You know, <laughs> yeah, whatever. You know, charitable giving. <laughs> oh, that's how you feel that strongly,
0: huh? Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. That was all. Go away. The cool thing is you never get invited back. It's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, let's start with the Haven Lifeline. And one more time this year, OG, we're going to tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance, they put what you value first, upsetting the loved ones. All my
3: Christmas presents that I'm going to get.
0: stirring the pot. Still waiting
3: to get some stuff, but... um...
0: Yours are Christmas slash birthday presents. Oh, yeah. And And don't you forget... Yes, exactly. I mean, when you got four days between that
3: for a few seconds.
0: So (laughs) thank you you for reminding me. Four days between the two. Did you get anything on Saturday?
3: Um, sure. I went out to dinner. That's nice. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Had a nice salad. Did you like my, my gift? It's just like Christmas vacation. Oh, Joe, you didn't have to get me anything. (laughs) Damn it, Bethany. He guessed it. (laughs)
0: Uh our friends at Haven Lifeline. Favorite line of that movie. It's so the good. Way. There's so many that, great lines.
3: That one or the, could I drive you out into the middle of the desert, leave you for dead?
0: The one we play at the beginning of shows sometimes. Yeah. no, nah, I'm fine, Clark. I refill your eggnog. Uh, that's why they made buying quality term life insurance. That's Haven Life, by the way. Actually, simple. Head to stackybeduments.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. By the way, what a great gift to give your family. Hmm? Guess what, honey? I got a million dollars of life insurance.
3: Give him a little card.
0: Purchased on your behalf. Like one of those charitable giving cards. Happy holiday. Purchased for I you. a donation. And she's like, shut up and drink your soup.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yes.
0: Today, we've got last caller of this year on the Haven Lifeline. Decade. Of the decade. That's right. Last caller of the decade. Let's throw out the Haven Lifeline to Nick from Alaska. Say hi, Nick. <coughs>
1: Hello Joe and OG. This is Santa uh, Nick calling from the North po- uh, Alaska. <laughs> I have to say, I travel around the world once a year and love catching up on the show. It's a jolly good time even though I don't learn a thing. <laughs> Here's my question. I've got terrible budget problems. Several years ago, I told the missus that I'd give presents to a bunch of kids I don't know. <laughs> Pay it forward, she said. You'll become a legend. That sort of thing. Well, I have to say it's gotten out of hand. <laughs> Every stinking year, I load up my sleigh, mean, uh, my uh, pickup with all of these toys. It used to be trucks, trains, and Barbies. But now they want iPads, Xboxes, and thousand-dollar phones. I mean, I give these ankle biters everything they ask for, and they always just come back asking for more. (laughs) I know what you're going to say, OG. And before you say it, I've already tried to cut my costs. We had the great idea of stuffing things in socks to limit the amounts. But before you know it, that just became an add-on. And now, these rascals all expect a sock full of junk and their silly presents. Oh, greedy little. And all for what? All I get in return is a few Christmas cookies. And now, they're all gluten-free. Where's the fun in that? Between us. I've even gone so far as to hire a bunch of undocumented workers. They're out in my workshop behind the house, making knockoff purses and jewelry as we speak. I wouldn't be surprised if the feds knock on my door tomorrow and shut us down. And if that weren't a big enough problem, we use deer in our uh, delivery system. And the animal rights people are breathing down my neck. I really, truly don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> so here's what I need to know. How do I cut when there's nothing left to trim? What would you do if you were me? Thanks, guys.
0: <laughs> Big thanks to Nick for calling in. He's got problems, OG. Maybe he should
3: work more often than just once a year.
0: Did he, did he say that, that he just works once a year? <laughs> Yeah, he said like once a year. Yeah.
3: He does that. I mean, we talk about like cutting expenses is kind of one thing, but the other side of the balance sheet or the income, income statement is adding more income.
0: Well, and when even that one day that you work, if if that's all an expense and there's nothing on the other side besides the cookies, I mean, even if the cookies were good, there's got to be some income coming in. Like there's things that you love to do. They it's say merchandise like his likeness or something. I'm
3: not sure. Think people know what he looks like. Well, they would eventually. That, he, he's just like kind of create a brand story around his benevolence. See if that does anything. That'd be a great idea. Like if he took this thing that he does. Oh, you know, what would be swell. He's got to get away for like religion to get involved. Like if he could be like knighted or um, not knighted. What would be better? Sainthood. Yes, that would be. That would be important. That's all you that, got to like totally elevates the quality of his, his, his status. That's
0: all you got to do, Nick, just become a saint. <laughs> Good to, luck. <laughs> Don't get him, Tiger. That's why we like doing this podcast. So we can come up with these great ideas that you get to implement, not us. Yeah, but yeah. it sounds, uh, sounds difficult. Got to work on the income statement. Don't cut costs, build income streams, build go. income. I agree. Sometimes you just can't cut more. Well, that's going to do it for today. Hey, big thanks to everybody for hanging out with us in 2019. It has been a fantastic year, OG. Our team has grown. I want to thank our team before Doug does the honors for today's show. I want to thank, uh, on behalf of you and I, first of all, Gertrude, our right-hand person. We definitely couldn't do it without Gertrude. Uh, you know what? Steve is going to be thanked by... Doug here in a second, I'm sure, because he thanks him every week, but big thanks to Steve Stewart. Huge thanks to our producers. Richie Rudder-Reese is an amazing Monday producer. And I got to tell you, Richie's been with us at OG, as you know, for a long time. And for a kid that came on board as a college intern to see his writing develop and his work develop over the years has been just fantastic. Uh, He put this show together for us today. And did a great job. Also, big thanks to our brand new Wednesday producer, Taylor Stevens. Taylor also is a phenomenal writer. He's been on the show a couple times, Mr. Phi Guy himself, and now he's part of the team. So we like to not only welcome him to the team, but uh, also thank him for joining us because it's going to make the show better. And also big thanks to Karen Rapine, who is our new Friday producer, both Karen and Taylor joined us about a month ago, and uh we've just already seen great things from them, and we're so happy that they're that they're a part of of our team. That's the team, right? That's everybody. Am I forgetting anybody? And I, I think, think that's it. I think are we forgetting anybody?
3: No. No. Should
0: we say thank you to him? Fine. He'll get a little moody otherwise. Slightly. Big thanks to Doug for lending his silky voice and by the way for those of you who have asked whenever we do a meetup am i doug
3: no you are not <laughs> no, I am for the 400 millionth time
0: I, I am not doug i am not doug speaking of doug doug take it from here man what should we have learned on this episode about learning in 2018
2: so what should we have learned today first take some key points from liz weston Learn from 2019 so you can make even better decisions in 2020 and beyond. Second, take a lesson from Harlan Landis. Want to support financial literacy? Think locally. What can you do to get your hands dirty? But the big takeaway... Don't ever order a TV using the metric system. Turns out 62-centimeter TV isn't the device you're looking for. Long live the customary system. That's what I say. Special thanks to Liz Weston for joining the fun today. You'll find Liz's books wherever books are sold. Thanks also to Harlan Landis for joining us. You'll find out more about the Plutus Foundation at PlutusFoundation.org. This show was created by Joe Salcihi, produced by Richie Rutter reese and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at, at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here.
0: I am so excited because there are very few opportunities for me to see a movie that I know OG actually wants to watch. Because even, well, when let's I, hear it. even when I tell you that you should watch a movie and you'll like it, rarely do you see it. But I will say this, when you do go see it, I'll give kudos to you. You do always come back with, oh yeah, that was great.
3: Let's hear the one that you want me to do now.
0: This is one I know you already want to see. This stars a couple unknowns named uh, Matt Damon and Christian Bale called Ford versus Ferrari.
2: How long we've known each other, Ken? I ever break a promise
1: to you? (laughs) I will put you in the driver's seat at Le Mans. You just shut your mouth and let me do my thing. All right. Oh, Come here.
4: Morning, Shelby.
1: Morning, Molly. I'm I'll go to hell. And that's it, folks. Ferrari wins the 24 hours of Le Mans for the fifth consecutive year. Mr. Ford,
3: Ferrari has a message for you, sir. What did he say? He said Ford makes ugly little cars
2: in ugly factories. And, done. Uh, God, you fatser! We're gonna bury Ferrari at Le Mans.
0: And so Ford sets out to bury Ferrari after uh, Henry Ford II gets this slight from Enzo Ferrari. Decides, you know what? I went from not interested at first when Lee Iacocca as a young marketing executive rolls out the idea of having a racing platform that is beyond the NASCAR racing platform, uh, to go into worldwide racing and make much more sexy cars like Ferrari and, uh, goes from not interested at all to we're going to bury Ferrari hands. A gentleman named Carol Shelby, who, uh, sports car fans know Ford still makes a, mustang that is the shelby mustang which is the uh, top of the line version of the mustang and carol shelby went from phenomenal race car driver to phenomenal car designer and engineer and uh, they entrusted him with a racing team to go beat ferrari this is a story not just about the quest to beat ferrari but it's a story about a friendship between two men one of which is a living icon carol shelby another one is uh his leading driver who has a hell of a temper that nobody likes A a gentleman named ken miles or at least in the movie nobody likes him i don't know in real life that's the way they portray the character on the film and i know that sometimes these relationships are fictionalized and it also is a relationship between them and ford it's a relationship between entrepreneurial people and a big engine a big machine it's also the relationship between Europeans going for beautiful and Americans going for cranking it out at that particular point in manufacturing. It's funny because Enzo Ferrari—the reason this conversation started all was because Enzo Ferrari is making the most beautiful cars on the planet, arguably, but he was going bankrupt doing it, putting all this money into these cars and making. I can no see money. how at
3: a quarter million to throw,
0: <laughs> it was it was pretty amazing. I don't think I have to tell anybody what I thought about this movie. This is a phenomenal movie. And even if I weren't a Detroit guy and a guy who's worked with a lot of people in the auto industry and also people, I've worked with a lot of people who are entrepreneurial. I've worked with people who work for big companies. I've worked with big companies. I've worked with people in small companies. Like you see the dynamic between all of these things and to pack them into one movie without it seeming rushed, or out of place. Don't get me wrong. The movie's close to three hours long. Oof, it doesn't feel like three hours. I felt like I sat down and I was on this fantastic ride. I'd be very surprised to hear from somebody that uh, probably a lot of our audience has already seen this movie. But uh, I'd be very surprised to uh, to find somebody that didn't like this movie. Ford versus Ferrari. Huge, thumb up. Huge. Okay, yeah, it's on my list. And this afternoon, OG, I'm going to see one you already saw. Gonna go see Frozen too.
3: Let it go. Are Let you saying
0: go. don't go see the movie?
3: Can't hold me back anymore. Let it go.
0: Spoken like actually, a guy- this one's
3: a new one. This one is into the great, or or into the unknown is the refrain that gets repeated
0: 47 million times. Just what I need is to get that worm into, into the my, unknown, into my head,
3: into the unknown. Into the unknown. Into the
0: unknown. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG who spent time in the military and of course we know what a giver he is even when he pretends like he's being uh Mr. surly Navy Federal offers member only exclusive rates discounts and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals visit slash celebrate and you'll see all their military appreciation month offers and other Navy Federal offers they've got all kinds of resources on their site like Best cities after service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.